Chapter 4, verses 6b through 8, on the commentary of St. Paul's Epistle to the Galatians. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lars Rolander. Commentary on St. Paul's Epistle to the Galatians by Martin Luther. Translated by Theodore Grebner. Chapter 4. Verse 6b. Crying, Abba, Father. Paul might have written, God sent forth the Spirit of his Son into your hearts, calling, Abba, Father. Instead he wrote, Crying, Abba, Father. In the eighth chapter of the Epistle to the Romans, the Apostle describes this crying of the Spirit as groanings which cannot be uttered. He writes in the twenty-sixth verse, Likewise the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. The fact that the Spirit of Christ in our hearts cries unto God and makes intercession for us with groanings should reassure us greatly however there are many factors that prevent such full reassurance on our part we are born in sin to doubt the good will of god is an inborn suspicion of god with all of us besides the devil our adversary goeth about seeking to devour us by roaring God is angry at you, and is going to destroy you forever. In all these difficulties we have only one support, the gospel of Christ. To hold on to it, that is the trick. Christ cannot be perceived with the senses. We cannot see him. The heart does not feel his helpful presence. Especially in times of trials a Christian feels the power of sin the infirmity of his flesh, the goading darts of the devil, the augs of death, the scowl and judgment of God. All these things cry out against us. The law scolds us, sin screams at us, death thunders at us, the devil roars at us. In the midst of the clamor, the Spirit of Christ cries in our hearts, Abba! father and this little cry of the spirit transcends the hullabaloo of the law sin death and the devil and finds a hearing with god the spirit cries in us because of our weakness because of our infirmity the holy ghost is sent forth into our hearts to pray for us according to the will of god and to assure us of the grace of god let the law, sin, and the devil cry out against us until their outcry fills heaven and earth. The Spirit of God outcries them all. Our feeble groans, Abba, Father, will be heard of God sooner than the combined racket of hell, sin, and the law. We do not think of our groanings as a crying. It is so faint we do not know we are groaning. But he, says Paul, that searcheth the hearts, 
knoweth what is the mind of the spirit romans eight twenty seven to this searcher of hearts our feeble groaning as it seems to us is a loud shout for help in comparison with which the howls of hell the din of the devil the yells of the law the shouts of sin are like so many whispers in the fourteenth chapter of exodus the lord addresses moses at the red sea wherefore criest thou unto me moses had not cried unto the lord he trembled so he could hardly talk his faith was at low ebb he saw the people of israel wedged between the sea and the approaching armies of pharaoh how were they to escape moses did not know what to say how then could god say that moses was crying to him god heard the groaning heart of moses and the groans to him sounded like loud shouts for help god is quick to catch the sigh of the heart some have claimed that the saints are without infirmities but paul says the spirit helpeth our infirmities and maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered we need the help of the holy spirit because we are weak and infirm and the holy spirit never disappoints us confronted by the armies of pharaoh retreat cut off by the waters of the red sea moses was in a bad spot he felt himself to blame the devil accused him these people will all perish for they cannot escape and you are to blame because you led the people out of egypt you started all this and then the people started in on moses because there were no graves in egypt hast thou taken us away to die in the wilderness for it had been better for us to serve the egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness exodus fourteen verses eleven and twelve but the holy ghost was in moses and made intercession for him with unutterable groanings signs unto the lord o lord at thy commandment have i led forth this people so help me now the spirit intercedes for us not in many words or long prayers but with groanings with little sounds like abba small as this word is it says ever so much it says my father i am in great trouble and you seem so far away but i know i am your child because you are my father for christ's sake i am loved by you because of the beloved this one little word abba surpasses the eloquence of the demosthenes and a cicero i have spent much time on this verse in order to combat the cruel teaching of the roman church that a person ought to be kept in a state of uncertainty concerning his status with god the monasteries recruit the youth on the plea that their holy orders will assuredly recruit them for heaven but once inside the monastery the recruits are told to doubt the promises of god in support of their error the papists quote the saying of solomon 
the righteous and the wise, and their works are in the hand of God. No man knoweth either love or hatred by all that is before them. Ecclesiastes 9 verse 1 They take this hatred to mean the wrath of God to come. Others take it to mean God's present anger. None of them seem to understand this passage from Solomon. On every page the scriptures urge us to believe that God is merciful, loving, and patient, that He is faithful and true, and that He keeps His promises. All the promises of God were fulfilled in the gift of His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. The gospel is reassurance for sinners. Yet this one saying from Solomon, misinterpreted at that, is made to count for more than all the many promises of all the scriptures. If our opponents are so uncertain about their status with God, and even go so far as to say that the conscience ought to be kept in a state of doubt, why is it that they persecute us as vile heretics? When it comes to persecuting us, they do not seem to be in doubt and uncertainty one minute. Let us not fail to thank God for delivering us from the doctrine of doubt. The gospel commands us to look away from our own good works to the promises of God in Christ, the Mediator. The Pope commands us to look away from the promises of God in Christ to our own merit. No wonder they are the eternal prey of doubt and despair. We depend upon God for salvation. No wonder that our doctrine is certified, because it does not rest in our own strength, our own conscience, our own feelings, our own person, our own works. It is built on a better foundation. It is built on the promises and truth of God. Besides, the passage from Solomon does not treat of the hatred and love of God towards men. It merely rebukes the ingratitude of men. The more deserving a person is, the less he is appreciated. Often those who should be his best friends are his worst enemies. Those who least deserve the praise of the world get most. David was a holy man and a good king. Nevertheless, he was chased from his own country. The prophets, Christ, the apostles were slain. Solomon in this passage does not speak of the love and hatred of God, but of love and hatred among men. As though Solomon wanted to say, there are many good and wise men whom God uses for the advancement of mankind. Seldom, if ever, are their efforts crowned with gratitude. They are usually repaid with hatred and ingratitude. We are being treated that way. We thought we would find favor with men for bringing them the gospel of peace, life, and eternal salvation. Instead of favor, we found fury. At first, yes, many were delighted with our doctrine and received it gladly. We counted them as our friends and brethren, 
and were happy to think that they would help us in sowing the seed of the gospel but they revealed themselves as false brethren and deadly enemies of the gospel if you experience the ingratitude of men don't let it get you down say with christ they hated me without cause and for my love they are my adversaries but i give myself unto prayer psalm hundred and nine verse four let us never doubt the mercy of god in christ jesus but make up our minds that god is pleased with us that he looks after us and that we have the holy spirit who prays for us verse seven wherefore thou art no more a servant but a son this sentence clinches paul's argument he says with the holy spirit in our hearts crying abba father there can be no doubt that god has adopted us for his children and that our subjection to the law has come to an end we are now the free children of god we may now say to the law mr law you have lost your throne to christ i am free now and a son of god you cannot curse me any more do not permit the law to lie in your conscience your conscience belongs to christ let christ be in it and not the law as the children of god we are the heirs of his eternal heaven what a wonderful gift heaven is man's heart cannot conceive much less describe until we enter upon our heavenly inheritance we are only to have our little faith to go by to man's reason our faith looks rather forlorn but because our faith rests on the promises of the infinite god his promises are also infinite so much so that nothing can accuse or condemn us verse seven and if a son then an heir of god through christ a son is an heir not by virtue of high accomplishments but by virtue of his birth he is a mere recipient his birth makes him an heir not his labors in exactly the same way we obtain the eternal gifts of righteousness resurrection and everlasting life we obtain them not as agents but as beneficiaries we are the children and heirs of god through faith in christ we have christ to thank for everything we are not the heirs of some rich and mighty man but heirs of god the almighty creator of all things if a person could fully appreciate what it means to be a son and heir of god he would rate the might and wealth of nations small change in comparison with his heavenly inheritance what is the world to him who has heaven no wonder paul greatly desired to depart and to be with christ nothing would be more welcome to us than early death knowing that it would spell the end of all our miseries and the beginning of all our happiness yes if a person could perfectly believe this he would not long remain alive the anticipation of his joy would kill him but 
the law of the members strives against the law of the mind and makes perfect joy and faith impossible we need the continued help and comfort of the holy spirit we need his prayers paul himself cried out o wretched man that i am who shall deliver me from the body of this death the body of this death spoiled the joy of his spirit he did not always entertain the sweet and glad expectation of his heavenly inheritance he often felt miserable this goes to show how hard it is to believe faith is feeble because the flesh wars against the spirit if we could have perfect faith our loathing for this life in the world would be complete we would not be so careful about this life we would not be so attached to the world and the things of the world we would not feel so good when we have them we would not feel so bad when we lose them we would be far more humble and patient and kind but our faith is weak because our spirit is weak in this life we can have only the first fruits of the spirit as paul says verse seven through christ the apostle always has christ on the tip of his tongue he foresaw that nothing would be less known in the world some day than the gospel of christ therefore he talks of christ continually as often as he speaks of righteousness grace the promise the adoption and the inheritance of heaven he adds the words in christ or through christ to show that these blessings are not to be had by the law or the deeds of the law much less by our own exertions or by the observance of human traditions but only by and through and in christ verses eight and nine how bait then when ye knew not god ye did service unto them which by nature are no gods but now after that ye have known god or rather are known of god how turn ye again to the weak and beggarly elements whereunto ye desire again to be in bondage this concludes paul's discourse on justification from now to the end of the epistle the apostle writes mostly of christian conduct but before he follows up his doctrinal discourse with practical precepts he once more reproves the galatians he is deeply displeased with them for relinquishing their divine doctrine he tells them you have taken on teachers who intend to recommit you to the law by my doctrine i called you out of the darkness of ignorance into the wonderful light of the knowledge of god i led you out of bondage into the freedom of the sons of god not by the prescription of laws but by the gift of heavenly and eternal blessings through christ jesus how could you so soon forsake the light and return to darkness how could you so quickly stray from grace into the law from freedom into bondage the example of the galatians of anabaptists and other sectarians in our day bears testimony to the ease with which faith may be lost 
we take great pains in setting forth the doctrine of faith by preaching and by writing we are careful to apply the gospel and the law in their proper turn yet we make little headway because the devil seduces people into misbelief by taking christ out of their sight and focusing their eyes upon the law but why does paul accuse the galatians of reverting to the weak and beggarly elements of the law when they never had the law why does he not say to them at one time you galatians did not know god you then served idols that were no gods but now that you have come to know the true god why do you go back to the worship of idols paul seems to identify their defection from the gospel to the law with their former idolatry indeed he does whoever gives up the article of justification does not know the true god it is one and the same thing whether a person reverts to the law or to the worship of idols when the article of justification is lost nothing remains except error hypocrisy godlessness and idolatry god will and can be known in no other way than in and through christ according to the statement of john chapter one verse eighteen the only begotten son which is in the bosom of the father he hath declared him christ is the only means whereby we can know god and his will in christ we perceive that god is not a cruel judge but a most loving and merciful father who to bless and to save us spared not his own son but gave him up for us all this is truly to know god those who do not know god in christ arrive at this erroneous conclusion i will serve god in such and such a way i will join this or that order i will be active in this or that charitable endeavor god will sanction my good intentions and reward me with everlasting life for is he not a merciful and generous father who gives good things even to the unworthy and ungrateful how much more will he grant unto me everlasting life as a due payment in return for my many good deeds and merits this is the religion of reason this is the natural religion of the world the natural man receiveth not the things of the spirit of god first corinthians two verse fourteen there is none that understandeth there is none that seeketh after god romans three verse eleven hence there is really no difference between a jew a mohammedan and any other old or new heretic there may be a difference of persons places rites religions ceremonies but as far as their fundamental beliefs are concerned they are all alike is it therefore not extreme folly for rome and the mohammedans to fight each other about religion how about the monks why should one monk want to be counted more holy than another monk because of some silly ceremony when all the time their basic beliefs are as much alike as one egg is like the other 
They all imagine, if we do this or that work, God will have mercy on us. If not, God will be angry. God never promised to save anybody for his religious observance of ceremonies and ordinances. Those who rely upon such things do serve a God, but it is their own invention of a God, and not the true God. The true God has this to say. No religion pleases me, whereby the Father is not glorified through his Son Jesus. All who give their faith to this Son of mine, to them I am God and Father. I accept, justify, and save them. All others abide under my curse, because they worship creatures instead of me. Without the doctrine of justification there can be only ignorance of God. Those who refuse to be justified by Christ are idolaters. They remain under the law, sin, death, and the power of the devil. Everything they do is wrong. Nowadays there are many such idolaters who want to be counted among the true confessors of the gospel. They may even teach that men are delivered from their sins by the death of Christ. But because they attach more importance to charity than to faith in Christ, they dishonor him and pervert his word. They do not serve the true God, but an idol of their own invention. The true God has never yet smiled upon a person for his charity or virtues, but only for the sake of Christ's merits. The objection is frequently raised that the Bible commands that we should love God with all our heart, true enough, but because God commands it, it does not follow that we do it. If we could love God with all our heart, we should undoubtedly be justified by our obedience, for it is written, which if a man do, he shall live in them. Leviticus 18, verse 5. But now comes the gospel and says, Because you do not do these things, you cannot live in them. The words, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God, require perfect obedience, perfect fear, perfect trust, and perfect love. But where are the people who can render perfection? Hence this commandment, instead of justifying men, only accuses and condemns them. Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to every one that believeth. Romans 10 verse 1 How may these two contradictory statements of the Apostle, Ye knew not God, and ye worshipped God, be reconciled i answer by nature all men know that there is a god because that which may be known of god is manifest in them for god hath showed it unto them for the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen romans 1 verses 19 and 20 furthermore the different religions to be found among all nations at all times bear witness to the fact that all men have a certain intuitive knowledge of god if all men know god how can paul say 
that the Galatians did not know God prior to the hearing of the gospel? I answer, there is a twofold knowledge of God, general and particular. All men have the general and instinctive recognition that there is a God who created heaven and earth, who is just and holy, and who punishes the wicked. How God feels about us, what his intentions are, what he will do for us, or how he will save us, that men cannot know instinctively. It must be revealed to them. I may know a person by sight, and still not know him, because I do not know how he feels about me. Men know instinctively that there is a God, but what his will is toward them, they do not know. It is written, There is none that understandeth God. Romans 3, verse 11. Again, No man hath seen God. John 1, verse 18. Now, what good does it do if you know that there is a God, if you do not know how he feels about you, or what he wants of you? People have done a good deal of guessing. The Jew imagines he is doing the will of God if he concentrates on the law of Moses. The Mohammedan thinks his Koran is the will of God. The monk fancies he is doing the will of God if he performs his vows but they deceive themselves and become vain in their imaginations, as Paul says, Romans 1, verse 21. Instead of worshipping the true God, they worship the vain imaginations of their foolish hearts. What Paul means by saying to the Galatians, When ye knew not God, is simply this. There was a time when you did not know the will of God in Christ, but you worship gods of your own invention, thinking that you had to perform this or that labor. Whether you understand the elements of the world to mean the law of Moses or the religions of the heathen nations, it makes no difference. Those who lapse from the gospel to the law are no better off than those who lapse from grace into idolatry. Without Christ all religion is idolatry. Without Christ men will entertain false ideas about God. Call their ideas what you like, the laws of Moses, the ordinances of the Pope, the Koran of the Mohammedans, or what have you. End of chapter 4, verses 6b through 8 of Commentary on St. Paul's Epistle to the Galatians Read by Lars Rolander.